It's August 4th, uh, the eve of the Premier League, as well as the other seasons around Europe. Today, we'll be talking about, with Mark J and Rehan Ahmed and myself, Ashton Bajaj, in soccer in theory, as usual, um, about, well, Arsenal comes up a lot today, and as a broader understanding of where teams are and whether anyone can challenge the dominance of Liverpool and City over the last four years. Ronaldo, who's taken up a lot of time and energy and frustration, I suppose, over the past <laughs> couple of months. We will talk about that too. And, well, Pep was this Klopp. How does that compare to Wenger and Ferguson? So we start with... Mark, what, what do you have in mind? I know you've been an Arsenal fan for quite a while and have obviously seen their dark days, which are continuing in a sense. Where do you see? I mean, how, how do you feel about the various signings they've made and are you feeling more hopeful than has been the case over the last decade or so? I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling, um, you know, I just watched this all or nothing documentary. <laughs> Amazon is doing this thing. I don't know if either of you have seen this. It's um, it's pretty comical. The whole thing is like a trailer for itself. It constantly breaks into <laughs> into like techno music and gives you like three second sound bites, and you think that's just the intro, but that continues for Wait, like forty five minutes. Is it one show that's out? Like no, it's like a season. It's like a season. Um, and it they I guess they followed them last year. And, um, oh, I see. Just like the Tottenham and the city. Yeah, yeah. It's just a continuation that. of that. Um, but uh, so that I was trying to get pumped up, but I couldn't, you know, <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> keep a straight face. Um, I was looking, you know, I can't believe that they have. Like, I was looking at their projected lineup. It'll be interesting to see where Zinchenko slots in because, you know, they have all this money. The Kroenke organization, I just learned, is worth $10 billion. So they have all this money. They have a front four of Jesus, Martinelli, Odegaard, and Saka, with Smith Rowe somehow not even able to get into the first team. They have Thomas Partey, who's world-class. Saliba's world-class. The goalkeeper's, you know, he's, he's pretty solid. And... But you still have Jaka. <laughs> you still have Jaka. It's really, it's really unbelievable that Jaka is still in this team um, after his just his horrible personality and his consistent poor play. Um, even he just randomly fires him like a forty yarder. Um, and so I'm. I, I was as I was telling you all earlier. I I don't like Arteta. I, I, I don't like him. I think they should have went in a different direction a few years ago. Um, uh, I think Odegaard was a really shrewd signing, but I still think with respect to um, Aubameyang leaving the club, that was a really tremendous disappointment for me because I remember talking with Rayan and it seemed like a big disappointment when they signed, when they re-signed Aubameyang because they're spending all this money 
on this old player and all the pundits from around Europe are saying, this is a must signing. This is Arsenal's future. They have to sign a Bamiyan. And then they signed him and he's an aging player and he has AFCON and all of these things. And um, he has a couple of falling out with Arteta who seems like trying to prove to the world that he's like Pep. Um, and he lets him go and all of that money is, is now wasted. Now Aubameyang's like the third string striker on Barcelona. Um, anyway, those are some random, those are some random thoughts, but I am excited. I do imagine they'll lose to Palace tomorrow because Palace is quite good. Um, tend to be Let Arsenal. me invite Rehan to comment here. I mean, <laughs> apart from talking about Arsenal, um, Chelsea, who you support um, or have supported, they've got a new manager last couple of years. I mean, who's done quite well in a sense. And they also have a lot of new signings. They still are struggling. So how do you feel like, I mean, another London club, what do you think um, in relation yeah, to Arsenal and um, the others? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this Arsenal team. I think it's more interesting in a lot of ways in the Chelsea situation. You do have all this youth. Um, I go as far as even as to defend Granite Jaka, which I've never done in the past. But one of my one of my least uh, one of the players I just hate um, to see out there. But last season, I think towards the end of the season, he played much better. Once Arteta, and this is part of a larger defensive Arteta, I think he he rolled with the punches, switched to the, up the system. The Aubameyang situation was bad. Got rid of him in a way that maybe wasn't netting any money for the club or anything, but at least you, you got these youngsters through and now like, you know, it freed up um, at even that, even then it freed up the, the younger players in the attack. And now with Jesus coming in, I think he's much more conducive to this. Like, you know, Mark said like this four man attack to start, um, which may not be that sustainable. But you need someone with Partey and, you know, maybe Jaka comes good. Like he, he had some decent matches last. You can, you can, you can hope, I think. Um, but on the other hand, I guess the, the, the Tuchel situation at Chelsea, I mean, it's, it's another weird scenario where you just lose multiple defenders on free transfers. You were used to playing a back three. Uh, so Christensen's gone. Rudiger's gone. Um, I guess temporarily you've got you, you've got Thiago Silva still in that back three, but how long? Realistically, he's like seventy three years old. <laughs> he's still he's so old. <laughs> yeah, he looked great last year. Still at top. Seven. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean he he he's part of a back three when he's out there. I think he looks comfortable. But he, he, if you're going to switch to a back four because you don't have enough defenders now or just because you, I think playing in a back three is not that easy. You can't just bring in Koulibaly, who was world-class for years at Napoli. And I think he should have probably made the big move a contract ago. There was, there's been talk for years now. He shouldn't have re-signed his last contract with Napoli. Um, you, you can't just plug and play and be like, oh, yeah, we, had, we lost Rudiger, Koulibaly, you know, get on FIFA, he's better than Rudiger or something. And this is an upgrade. I, I think playing in a back three is tricky. And so um, I, my guess is that Tuchel is, and the, the defenses look great since Tuchel has taken over, but I think that'll probably be the biggest problem this year, um, defensively trying to cope with 
losing sort of, um, even if Christensen wasn't a core part of that starting three, he, uh, he fit in per- perfectly when he came in because he was a ball-playing um, central defender. And now you lose him on a free transfer to Barcelona, um, which is another, uh, Barcelona being another club we're probably going to have to talk about. Fascinating what, what they're going to do with these players. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure defensively Chelsea's going to be very good. My guess this season is that, especially with Tottenham making a bunch of sensible transfers under Conte, and you know, looking pr- good towards the end of last season, and I don't see any reason they wouldn't just continue uh, with a healthy Son and Kane <clears throat> to start the year. Yeah, I think Chelsea might not make the top four this season. That's my um, kind of prediction. Well, you mentioned you mentioned a name called Tottenham. I don't think I've ever heard of them, but um, the thing is. <laughs> About Arsenal, I mean, I, I agree with you, Rehan. I mean, there is more to be said about Arteta than uh, he's generally criticized a lot. And he did take on a team that wasn't doing particularly well. His, and I know that in the last couple of years, he's been backed a little more, but he didn't have very good players to start with. The levels of commitment was a problem. Aubameyang being a prime example of that kind of thing. And... But the, but the real thing that, apart from the signings they've made, and they've made some reasonable ones, Jesus, yes, but I don't know if that's what they really needed. They needed an out-and-out striker. Jesus may fit the bill. Preseason went well, in a sense. He scored a lot of goals, but there's a, it's, it's a different level altogether. But I think what really has to happen for Arsenal this season is the kids who've come through, Shaka, sorry, Saka, um, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, these guys really need to pick up. They need to become what they, they can't just be emerging talents now. It's one of them or two of them need to become those players that perhaps Ramsey and Wilshire never did. That's an important, otherwise what happens is you have these permanent prospects and the club doesn't actually move on to the next level. The other thing that I'm really interested to see is what happens when they have um, European football to contend with. Now, they did very well last season, but they didn't have the exhaustion that Europe actually entails. So this season, they're going to have to play Europa League, um, even if they don't take it as seriously, but they, it's unlikely that they won't give it any consideration at all. That will add at least 10 games to the calendar, and that can make all the difference sometimes. So... Uh, yeah, th- those are interesting sort of propositions which which uh, might affect how they they do this this season. I think Arteta is gets too much credit for doing things that are very commonsensical, like bringing in the youth. Ryan, you remember he, he wouldn't play Martinelli all season two seasons ago, and at the beginning of last season he would not play Martinelli when it was apparent to the whole world how good Martinelli is because of some personal spat he had with them or something. And it's one thing to bring in the youth, but he he already had the youth. You need to bring in the youth alongside one or two world-class players because Manchester City has only world-class players. Liverpool has only world-class players. You can't just bring in the youth. You need a couple of very talented people 
alongside them that are guaranteed performers because you know like Martinelli my take is he's absolutely world class I think he's personally even though Saka gets more press I think Martinelli personally is the pick of the bunch for me but you see it against big teams one or two of these guys is going to drop off like Odegaard's level he seems to become very bashful around the top players um so I think you need you need if you want to get in terms of actually challenging for something like you need I liked Aubameyang as a talisman even though he's I don't know I I see some I don't know do I read I read race into all of these things not in the sense of like this but you have this guy from Gabon I remember during during one of the African games he's tweeting out that you know his team has to sleep overnight in the airport because this country hasn't been able to arrange them like a hotel situation I mean this guy is dealing with certain things and then he shows up late to practice a few times after signing him I mean these are things that I feel like should have been worked out ahead of time I mean I, I do like Jesus and I do like that Jesus he, he came to Manchester City he was supposed to, he was a hot commodity out of Brazil it never happened for him then he finally got into the starting lineup last year he's starting in the Champions League semifinals they lose you know ridiculous fashion uh, for the Brazilian national team, he's been overshadowed by Firmino most of the time. So he has something to prove. And, but it, I just get the sense this Arsenal team is the same, is built of the same type of characters where once once things start to go poorly, um, it will just crumble. And Arteta seems like almost like a farcical. Doesn't he seem this way? Like if he starts, you know, if things are going poorly and he starts yelling at you, trying to motivate you, that at least half the locker room is laughing at him. Um, that, well, that's last that's, year. That's my perception of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, but last year the their big problem was the that they just didn't draw any games. I think they had among the top teams they had. I don't remember the number of draws. It was either win or loss, and so they'd lose all those games that were close. And you know, if they had possession, and it's just like they threw away that first city match, um, like where and that, that didn't just happen against City. It was happening against all of the lower teams. Even in the second half of the year, when well, especially I guess when they um, collapsed and lost out of the Champions League, uh, and it, it just depends what your target is. What would be progress for them this year? You know, is it just try getting fourth? I think would be a fair target. And if they can, and if the question is, can they? Uh, you know, as you were saying, the Liverpool and City players, they can't look there and say, okay, we want world class players. That's the kind of prob- the kind of thinking I think that gets you to sign Mesutzil or something, and someone who we we love, and, but maybe is not what you need um, in today's Premier League. Hold uh, your tongue. <laughs> I I can't believe what I'm saying, um, but yeah. So I think the 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 structure the, the, he's built the team. I, I like the signings this year, both Jesus and. Zinchenko it's that versatility for multiple competitions and like because Jesus is comfortable out wide as well um and the, in terms of combination these guys are going to combine be on the end of Odegaard's got people to look for every time he turns now and um and you know you've got Zinchenko you've got multiple positions of course you know like Tierney's a worry because at left back when he was gone and Nuno Tavares was playing last year, it just wasn't working out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they can do exactly what they did last year, which is 
be in Champions League contention towards the end. And I think it'll look better than it did last year because they were dreadful at the beginning. That Brentford match to start it, start things off was like one of many terrible matches in the first third of the season. And then the quality improved, at least, um, even if the results towards the end didn't. Um, but yeah, Chelsea, I, uh, to go back to my worries there, just like you, if we're talking about Gabriel Jesus not necessarily being the answer as far as you need goals and he hasn't consistently provided them, um, what's the hope for Chelsea? Is it that like you bring in Sterling? Just like everyone's rating Manchester City's scraps, kind of being like, okay, we bring in Sterling and he's going to finally finish. He's, he's actually got good conversion rates and everything. You just didn't get um, like a, because of the rotations, he wasn't getting as much time as he will get probably at Chelsea. Um, but it, I, I don't know because Havertz is, it, it's hopeful to think that you're going to get consistent goals out of him. So yeah, no idea what's going to happen at Chelsea. Um, but I think it's, it'll be interesting in terms of, I, my prediction is City wins it and Liverpool, um, Liverpool fight it out with them till the end. And the question is who gets third? Um, yeah, do you guys know? <laughs> there, there, there's two things that, you know, one of you, one of you respond to. Um, when you think of the forwards, right, talked about Jesus and, and others, um, Chelsea's problems. I mean, they're, they're getting Sterling instead of perhaps Rafinha, who Barcelona poached. Liverpool, what do you, their role, I mean, the fact that they've got Nunes this year, but he's young, it takes a while to adapt to a new team. And they've lost money who was, I think, more crucial than Salah in a, in, a lot of, in a lot of games over the years. Do they simply readjust because of you know, Klopp and his high pressing and, and, and does everything just work out seamlessly? The other thing is, it seems like a time when United needed a forward. They needed to get rid of one when well, they need one, <laughs> a, a different one to come in. Arsenal don't have the player that they perhaps wanted an out-and-out striker. And yet Richarlison, who could probably play that role, goes into a team which has Harry Kane, perhaps one of you know top two or three strikers in the world. How does that work? I mean, like, what do you think of Tottenham's prospects in relation to that, United's prospects in relation to that? Because we are talking about third to sixth, right? That, that's, that seems like the, what's up for grabs if the top two are going to perform at the levels that they have before. What do you guys reckon? Um, I could, honestly, I think it's, I, I could see a drop off from Liverpool this year. I could see a big drop off from Liverpool this year. I think Mane was pretty essential to the team. Ram was the first person maybe as with some insider Muslim information to let me know that Mane and Salah like hated one another. And then once he told me that, it kind of became apparent that they that it was a really forced, like, quick hug when one of them scored. And so Salah might enjoy that. But, yeah, I agree. I, I thought Mane, this last year he wasn't as good. But the year before, I thought he was pretty much as good as anyone in Europe, was my sense. He was unbelievable. He was just a nightmare to defending. And he could finish with both feet. I mean, ridiculous and consistent performer. Diaz is... Also, I mean, Diaz is a wonderful player, but 
I get the sense it might be the kind of thing that defenders kind of figure figure him out a bit. Um, how, um, I don't know if that's the case, but Mane was, I think, at a diff- operating at a different level because Diaz needs to be running into space, whereas Mane was, you know, was doing different things. So I could see a drop off. I mean, I, that could be wrong. It's just random take, you know. I'm saying, I mean, in the in the Shield, they brought on Milner. Like, <laughs> I mean, how long can Jordan Henderson and James Milner be even peripheral members of a team? Thiago's getting up yeah. there in age. I mean, Van Dyke is solid. Trent Alexander and Robertson, I mean, how much better could they possibly get? I could see it going in the opposite direction, you know, um, for them. So that would be my, my hope, that they kind of fade. And in, with respect to Tottenham, Conte is a really good manager, um, but the players tend to hate him. Like, I remember when, when um, you know, he was... He was tipped for the Real Madrid job like four or five years ago. And like Sergio Ramos made a specific point of going to the club president and being like, we don't want to play for this guy. He's a complete <laughs> nutcase. And so I could see, you know, Tottenham's still Eventually, not yeah. Yeah, yeah. The like, players are going to get sick of it. He, yeah. They're still not very good team. The, the, I mean, they can be good, but it's it's very clear that they're not that good it's very like stale type of play they tend to it, it tends to be very competitive matches no matter who they're playing against so you can see them having a difficult situation and Conte trying to scream at the players and there being a slight rebellion and maybe Kane wants to leave again if they're down you know mid-table type situation um, so I think Arsenal has kind of an opportunity if they because my sense was if Arsenal, Arsenal playing at their best beats Tottenham playing at their best. The problem is Arsenal doesn't get to their best um, very often. And I think Arsenal at their best beats, you know, beats Chelsea, I think. And I think they give Liverpool uh, a run for their money too. I think City will play them off the park. Um, yeah, I don't know. Rand, what do you think? Like United is, is the wild card. Yeah, I love how we've just been avoiding the United elephant in the room. And I want to keep it that way because it's, it's too fascinating. We need to like talk about it like top to bottom when you talk United. Um, and it, yeah, I, it's interesting. Like as you're talking about like the, the Milner comment kind of gets to the crux of the, what makes the season so interesting, you know, like city go through the lines. There's no weakness, right? It's like now that you've got Holland and you, you've got, I mean, I can't, the, the defense is sorted. Yes, it's going to be like the, maybe the slightest thing is kind of like Laporte is really slow. Uh, Stones is, you know, touch and go when he, when he plays. And then if, if he can get that, that his top level or not. Um, so if you want to look for a weakness with City, I think it's that. Um, but otherwise, across the defense midfield forwards, they look, uh, you know, awesome. Uh, Liverpool... I don't think the forwards will be an issue because I think Diaz is world-class. So like he's, oh man, when he, when he dribbles at this yeah, point yeah. and you know, he's going right. He's one of these rare, like right footed players. You see like an Aryan Robin kind of thing. When he cuts inside, he's going to get, he's going to get into onto his left foot, no matter what, but you don't see <clears throat> like a right footed dribbler on the left wing be this successful without doing other things. Like you see someone like Mane is a good example. He's a right footed left winger who just did everything. Um, but yeah, Diaz is, is really good. I think it's kind of plug and play between Diaz and, and Jota at that left or left forward, let's say. And then Jota and um, even if uh, Darren Nunez doesn't start well or needs some time, you still have Firmino, Jota. I, I imagine 
one of them has to go. I, but I guess right now none of them are going. So you have a good rotation. But the big problem has to be the midfield for them, <laughs> because I thought it was poor already last season. And yeah, yeah. like if you're, yeah, if you're in an open, you play four three three, and you get all your possession through your fullbacks like they do, and you have very very good forwards, then you kind of can skip the midfield. Um, but when they do that against better teams or like good teams in the Champions League, and you have Thiago, uh, Thiago Alcantara is fantastic to watch in the Premier League because he has he has time, and otherwise he's just on the ball all the time. But against the top teams in in Europe, I think that'll be a problem. That the the midfield is uh, you don't have the Wijnaldum in his prime anymore, um, carrying water. Uh, which is in some sense the opposite. Like thinking about Chelsea, I didn't, that midfield still looks like it's going to be world-class yeah. this year. <laughs> and so it's like, ah, maybe, maybe they might be better after all if they, uh, if they can figure out goals. And yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting because then the Man United question is like, is it really top to bottom? Ten Hag is changing everything um, because... Sancho looks good in preseason. Rashford, is he coming back in? Is even Martial coming back in like Ten Hag claims? He's, it's like up to him and he's playing him in preseason. And you know, his scoring goals in preseason, which obviously means nothing, but he, he's given these guys a shot. And it, with, I don't know if De Jong's going to come. I think that's another big, uh, like, that'll change everything because Ericsson's here and that's a wild card. I don't, he looked good. At, Brentford, I'd say last year. So if you have, uh, if he's your only midfield signing, then I think too much Fred and McTominay means the uh, like spells trouble for them. So I mean, the United question is just fascinating, and maybe the Ronaldo question is the first big, the only big domino as far as what they can do or will do. So Mark, if if you were manager of United, I mean, knowing that okay, you have this player who dominated in the past, Ronaldo, big ego, creates as many problems as he solves, perhaps. But two years ago, they came second. He comes in, they come seventh. And it seems like they want to get rid of him without saying it. But they don't have a striker. Ryan just said, Martial, you know, he's injured right now. You don't know how much he, how effective he'll be, how much he'll take on the mantle. Would you play him? Would you play Ronaldo? What would you say if you were... United manager to Ronaldo and looking into the season which begins tomorrow. I don't even know if like the manager even talks to Ronaldo. He probably has to like, <laughs> talk to his agent, like or you know, he probably has to go through the press. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Ronaldo basically. Well, there was some I, video, Mark. Uh, there's recently like it's been like a story just that Ronaldo and Ten Hag. There's video of Ten Hag saying something, Ronaldo looking kind of like uninterested or like pissy about it, and so people are extrapolating that like he's not listening to him. So he is talking to him. I don't know that. I see he's trying anyway. I think. Yeah. I think United. I didn't watch every game, but let's say I saw like 30 games of United. I mean, they were unwatchable. It was. They were <laughs> awful. They were awful. I, I would have rather watched you know, maybe 15 teams in the Premier League versus them. They have Fred and McTominay. Like, how can this be your solution for, like, year? I mean, they spend more than any other team in Europe. I mean, talk about Xhaka. 
Like they have Fred and McTominay, like and and Pogba on the bench. Like it's 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 like a complete farce. So I say that to say Ronaldo was often their best player last year. So I think aside from his, you know, difficult personality, let's say. I mean, I know you hate him, Ashwin. You know, but aside from his difficult personality, he probably still is their best player. Even at what? What is he like? Fifty-six years old, thirty-eight years old, something like this. Like, so I would, I would play him. But the thing for me is, their back line isn't particularly isn't particularly good. De Gea has been their best player probably seven seasons out of eight or something like this. So the question is, if you bring in Eriksson, do you play him in one of the like holding midfield positions? Because they they tend to like this. I mean, they've been playing this four-two-three-one. For, for a couple of years now, it's looked very bad. But if you if you take the risk of playing Ericsson next to like Fred or something like this, like getting McTominay out of there, and then you have Bruno Fernandez with Martial, with um, Sancho, with Rashford, or with Ronaldo, if that team's clicking, all of a sudden that's a that's a pretty devastating team to play yeah. against. If that team is not clicking, you know, Fernandez also seems like a bit of a jerk. Like he seems like he also kind of checks out mentally or seems like he's a, a bit above it all. But then even if De Jong comes, I mean, I know you both have things to say about De Jong. Like when we watched him play, you know, well, I guess we could save it, but I think he's really world-class. But I never thought Donny van de Beek was quite at that level, but I thought he was pretty close to world-class. And he came into that team and he looked awful and couldn't even get a sniff. So you could see them just ruining De Jong. And it could be a strange, like enigmatic fall from grace for, for, from him. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I could see it going anywhere, Ashwin. Yeah. Well, one thing about um, United, uh, it does seem of interest to me how they suddenly fell. You saw Bruno's performance last year becoming awful. And maybe Ronaldo had nothing to do with it, but I do think he's a polarizing personality, not suitable not suited rather to a game which requires much younger players. So it's possible he scores goals. He puts his name to goals. I should put it like that, but whether or not he's actually improving the team, that's something that's been debated over the past year. And I don't think he is, which is why I think the surest um, sign of that is no one wants him. If he was actually, you know, useful to a team, You'd have a lot of people signing him or at least some teams and he doesn't seem to have any takers. As for United, I think, and you talked about De Jong, I think the fulcrum players, like in Chelsea or in um, even in City, now that Fernandinho is gone, you only have Rodri, right? The defensive, the holding midfielder who breaks up play, who begins play. That's an important, like Chelsea have been... They've had Conte forever, and he's getting old now. That's Partey. As soon as Partey got injured in Arsenal, their season sort of tanked. And I, I really believe that if he if he were fit, they would have come forth comfortably. Even De Jong coming in could really help. He's the sort of player that, well, he's he's what Barcelona need. Even though they're trying to get rid of him, he's the replacement to Busquets, who's. Awful if anyone's seen Barcelona in the last four years, uh, how difficult it is to play um, a, a style which, which needs a lot of possession, 
with or you know even the high press styles that that uh, Liverpool and City have without a holding midfielder to actually break up play or begin the fresh attacks. If De Jong comes, I think it could be the beginning of something. Whether that's with Ronaldo or you know post Ronaldo, they get in a few younger players. It's hard to say, but um, it's he's definitely a player that I think any team, including Chelsea, I think they're also looking at him because they realize Conte is getting old, right? And then and you sort of need a replacement for him. I know it's slightly different style, but that is what he sort of does quite well, De Jong. So let's see. Um, yeah, but let me just say, like, let me say, because I think, I mean, I've talked about this with Ryan a lot. United, when you played De Jong, and when he was really good on Ajax, he was the one picking up the ball, okay? He was the one picking up the ball. So if he comes to United, will they have the, the actual audacity to just allow him to be the defensive midfielder? Or is he going to be playing against some deadweight person who's just going to be like standing square to him when he gets the ball? Because when he gets the yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think this is why we have to like step back and look at the tactics for a second. Because yeah, yeah. Ten Hag is who we haven't talked about at all. And the question is like, well, um, well, first off, it's just interesting looking at the contrast between the top five, six that we're looking at here that like, you know, um, whether Chelsea stays three in the back or not, I'm not sure, but that, but that the structure of no one else is going to be playing three in the back, I guess Tottenham when Conte wants to, it's, I, it's clear that he wants to Conte wants those wing backs. He brought in Perisic. That's, that is going to be fascinating. I don't know if it'll work out, but, um, like, yeah, yeah, it's it's timeless on both ends. Yeah, Perisic coming in and lighting it up on as a wing back would be fascinating. I don't know that it'll happen, um, but like I think the issue with these United before, like you were saying, four two three one was what they were doing with an assortment of managers, but it there wasn't much in terms of patterns of play. It kind of looked like, and what well, Ashwin, you were saying, like, well, the question does. Ronaldo add to a team, make it better or take it, you know, away. You can't, it's almost like the, he changes the whole structure of the team. So it's incommensurable, these two paradigms of football, like Ronaldo and then non-Ronaldo style, because like you're saying, it's it, in today's game, a 37 year old, he's not a target man. Cause he's still like, he's a complete kind of forward who, but he's not pressing like statistically or just like to the, uh, to the on the eye test like this guy is not pressing the ball at all so what happens when they lose possession when they're not in possession it's like Ronaldo's kind of trying to do what Messi used to do just kind of get free and walk you know walk into <laughs> space and then what's and then it's your your 10 with air quotes around that like your 10 is Bruno Fernandez who's just running around pressing like a uh, like a headless chicken and he tries to his credit Bruno Fernandez is he presses a lot, but it's like stupidly presses and like leaves spaces in behind between the midfield and the forward line. Um, and so the structure with Ronaldo is just terrible to watch, I think, for that reason, or has been. And they've had two managers, Solskjaer and Renick, who weren't willing to oppose a more sensible structure. Um, with Liverpool and their 4-3-3, I think that's something that they're going to struggle with defending on the counter because of the center midfield. In your, if you want a midfield three that's going to be that fluid, you need a center midfield that's 
athletic more than James Milner or old Henderson. Now United, they signed Lissandro Martinez this week, this not this week, I think this, this couple weeks ago. That is interesting is Ten Hag. It, it's an indication that Ten Hag might actually be given free reign to turn this into his Ajax 4 3 3. Like this fluid type of, okay, ball playing central defender. That's a very interesting signing. Um, granted, it will take a little. I mean, I, I think Lissandro Martinez is fantastic. But there will be an adjustment. Being a ball playing center, central defender in in the Eredivisie is not the same. As, you don't have the same things to look at as in the Premier League. You know, so it might not look good early in the season um, if he plays. And then the question is, well, who does he play next to? Um, Maguire, I guess. Um, but like, so if he goes, if if there's a double pivot, then De Jong as part of a double pivot with some like freedom attacking would be great. Right. But you can't do that. If Ericsson is your other, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. Ball playing central defender, the uh, central defensive midfielder. Sort of. So that's a, I, so I don't think, I think De Jong wouldn't, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it would be given what you have, if you're going to play Ericsson and you just let him kind of be on the ball more and you need, like, fine, keep McTominay out there or something. Because <laughs> what you really need is, is what Ashwin was saying before, like, you need a hardy, you need a hardy uh, holding mid if you're going to play 4-2-3-1. The other thing they could do is say, we're going to play, you know, drop Fernandez into a midfield three. And if Ten Hag is sort of, his idea is that he's going to play that fluid three that he played at Ajax with De Jong dropping in to take the ball uh, you know, dropping in between the central defenders sometimes to pick up the ball and then just shifting with the other guys um, as the ball shifted with like a high possession possession game. I'm not sure that either. I think it's impossible with both Fernandez and Erickson to do that and have any sort of success right now. So um, I guess the one other thing about them is like, They've upgraded. I think Malasia is going to be really good. So, like, you may have gotten your new Patrice Efra left back. So, but, but yeah, I have no idea what he's going to do. Like, what do you guys think tactically that he'll end up doing? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's such an enigma. It seems like even if, if they give Ten Hag free reign, it seems like it's such a cobbled together squad. It doesn't, why do you have, why would you have De Jong, Ericsson, and Bruno Fernandez? And Fred and McTominay on a team where you where you want to play a passing three in midfield. It doesn't make any sense. Like if you sign Ericsson, it's because you don't sign De Jong, or else just let Ericsson keep doing his thing at Brentford. It, it was it was awesome for everyone. Uh, you'd hope he wouldn't come in and play on the bench. But I I I I, I like Martial. I I really I think in in Monaco he was world class. And United just has a way of ruining players. Like yeah. they already tried this Dutch four-three-three thing. They had when uh, Van Gaal was the coach, and they brought in. They brought in. Look at the players they brought in. They had Angel Di Maria in the absolute prime of his career. He was terrible. Like they couldn't make him work. They had Memphis Depay, Pogba. Yeah, they had Pogba, of course. But then they had Memphis Depay, who was the biggest thing coming out of coming out of the Dutch league. Couldn't. Couldn't make it work for him either. I mean, it, it just seems like that's a place you go to, to kill your career. And I 
hold that opinion of them until I see otherwise. Well, this probably is a good time to also transition into talking about managers. You guys have spoken about tactics and what they're, what each of these clubs, what each of these teams are trying to do. And okay, Ten Hag has a certain style. Conte has a certain style. Arteta, I suppose, is still developing his um, learning a bit from Klopp and so on. But when you think of, okay, Klopp and Pep, they're also very good man managers. You can't imagine, even if Ronaldo had joined City last year, or even if Messi had joined City last year, I can't imagine them actually having the say they normally have, like Messi in Barcelona or Ronaldo in the other clubs that he's been part of. Um, It seems like these two are taskmasters and if they don't mind like it's like Zidane you know, he'd bench bail if he has to there's no no getting around him there's no very big reputations immense success so you can be whichever player and it wouldn't matter you will have to follow what they think should happen for a team and that's my only thing with Ten Hag I mean it's possible that this is a start of a certain project mm-hmm. what that project is we don't know yet because he doesn't have the players that he had in Ajax and maybe one or two here and there. But is, is, is he, a, I think when he came in, it was more, is he a good person to be pressing or clicking reset, right? Is this the person, like apart from what he offers managerially, sorry, apart from what he offers tactically and so on. That's what I think. Mourinho, like when they experimented with Mourinho and Tottenham experimented with Mourinho with what Roma tries, is trying to do right now, is okay, this is the person who can sort of get a club. We're not talking about what he means. Like Mourinho, no one's going to employ him for the way he plays football and so on. But there is a certain <laughs> stability that he lends. Didn't do it at Tottenham through, but that he lends to a club and, and then which they can then build up. Um, they can build from, which is what I think has been really lacking in in United uh, for a while now. But speaking of that, like, how, how do you when we think of managers, and it's only Pep and Klopp who've actually, you know, their rivalry and their managerial style is what I think has become the new aspiration for a lot of clubs. Uh, how, how do they compare to previous generations, for instance, Wenger and Ferguson? Um, from from a decade back, what do you think? Have they, they changed the game in certain ways? Has the game changed under them in certain ways, or or what do you feel is new about this style that that they are now symptomatic or in, they embody in every sense? Um, it's kind of hard for me to parse out because Pep coming to to the league was synonymous with or it happened in the same time simultaneous with the huge infusion of money into the Premier League so Pep's basically been able to buy every player he's wanted (laughs) since he came into the league I don't even think that's an exaggeration Um, I mean I think he maybe wanted Messi last year but um, but aside from that I think and Mourinho I remember Mourinho really complaining about that um, when he was kind of having a piss fit um, you know, when it didn't work out for him at United, he's saying, look, Pep, and it, it is like, if you watch the all or nothing documentary with, you know, with Manchester city, you see like all the players that Pep was really so hot, so hot on bringing in, like they didn't, they didn't work out like, like Mendy at left back and okay. He just goes and buys them. 
buys the next most expensive one. But he, Pep brings, I, I personally think Pep, I have a polemical take on Pep, which is that he's remarkably overrated as a manager in terms of, he's won two Champions Leagues. And I think maybe Ryan and I could have won the Champions League if you have Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Yaya Toure, Messi, Thierry Henry, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, David Villa, all in their primes of their career against a relatively weakened European competition. He wins two out of four, goes to Bayern, really makes a bit of a shambles <laughs> in terms of they won the Champions League right before he got there. They won the Champions League as soon as he leaves. Um, but it's undeniable that he brings with him a certain aesthetic quality um, to play, a very controlling, you know, they, they play beautiful. They play beautiful stuff. Where I'm more negative on it is in two senses. The one I saw like an analogy, I think Ryan's the one that showed me the video where, where Samuel Eto'o speaks out and Samuel Eto'o has extremely negative opinions about Pep Guardiola. And he's saying how Pep came in very disrespectfully in his opinion and came in was saying, okay, Ronaldinho is out and came the first day and, and Eto had scored the most goals in Europe the year before. And very early on in training, Eto scores a goal in training and Pep stops training to tell Eto that he should have made a different role, a different run. And Eto is saying, who are you? You know, you're just a defensive midfielder. Like, why are you, why are you? And that's what I saw a bit with Arteta and Aubameyang. It's like, okay, you have this guy. He, he wasn't some talismanic James Milner type figure and then he comes to practice late a couple of times after making him your captain and then you shift him off it seems like a power like like a like he's trying to reproduce these situations so in terms of art in terms of Pep you have this unbelievable aesthetic quality but he can it's like playing FIFA where you can just if you can just pick all your own team he can do that um I don't know necessarily how hard it how hard that would how hard that necessarily um, is in other words if we had that team um, but I have a lot more respect for Klopp I think what Klopp has done with Liverpool is pretty pretty ridiculous yeah what do you think Ryan? well I mean I was gonna say we're precise like how hard what is you're right in terms of achieving some of these final outcomes with that much money should be like okay Pep wins the Premier League it's not like this incredible achievement because of how much talent he has but in terms of what he's able to do with reorganizing things and uh, sort of something novel and it is like last year, for example, this Joe Cancelo thing. Joe Cancelo at, at Juventus, it was like, this guy is really yeah. fast. He's a right wing back in like, he's basically a winger. He's a liability defensively, you know, and it's like, you put that player this high up the pitch with this much talent. He sometimes beats his man and puts in a cross. Otherwise he doesn't. You know, like for this man to then, you know, his Joe Cancelo is going to be wearing number seven this year. And it's like you, Pep, put him in this spot at left <laughs> back. And everyone's like, yeah, what, what the hell is this? Like, why yeah, is right footed left back? It's like rule number one. You can't have this. Right. And then this like tactically, this inverted fullback, he's been continuously updating and evolving the system. Like, uh, and that's where the, where I think, Pep is a genius because when he goes into Barca, like from the point one is that he gets rid of Eto probably prematurely, but like Ronaldinho, Eto, and Deco. everyone who doesn't, yeah, Jeco and I mean, and he just goes, you know, full in with this, which to some degree takes 
courage, I think, you know, like, even though it's, it's obvious retrospectively to everyone that Iniesta should have been starting every game. Iniesta at that point is like 24 years old and yeah. has been yeah. in and out of the Barcelona squad. Like nowadays, if you have someone like that at Barcelona in an off season like this, it's like, well, what do we do with these players who you get rid of them and you sign the next flashiest, biggest thing, you know? So he could have done that and he didn't. And then, you know, that Tiki Taka style with you know, the positional play version that he instituted at Barcelona, he updates it and changes it with Bayern. It doesn't work it to perfection, but they were quite dominant in, you know, run of play most of the times. The outcomes in the Champions League, that's where we can talk about Pep sort of melting down and overthinking things at the final stages of these tournaments, which I think is true. But like, man, what did he, what he did with like that, the Man City iteration where it was like, not only just inverted fullbacks, it'll be like your, your left back, Jao Cancelo is kind of your creative. He tucks in when they have the ball and becomes a creative sort of central midfielder. Um, it's like the geometry is just fascinating. It's like you're doing new things completely. So that's my, my uh, defensive path. Yeah. Let me ask you, you want to say something? I was going to say, tell Rehan, you started with Klopp. I mean, Pep, everyone has opinions on. It comes from a yeah. tradition of Cryf and Wenger to a certain extent. And then, of course, um, he, he takes it forward or at least replicates a certain thing. What, is, what, what do you think is Klopp's main or some of his key you know, aspects of his managerial genius, which must be called because he's, he's done a fairly good job? Yeah over here and with Borussia, what do you reckon? Like, how do you think, what sort of conversation do you have with I think part of that, and now maybe this will be unfair. If Mark was unfair to Pep, I'll be unfair to Klopp. Um, I I think his whole, the, the, you know, the tagline is heavy metal football, right? That high pressing and that's what he calls it. And it's like, it's, it's easy to get good players who buy in to press well. If you tell them, if you keep it simple and give them freedom, if, whereas someone like Pep, you know, this patterns of play and micromanaging uh, is kind of the issue with the modern manager, let's say. You don't have the freedom anymore that Ronaldinho and Jekko can kind of make mistakes and do what they want to do and produce the magic along the way. Um, now everything is micromanaged. And it seems to me like Pep doesn't micromanage in the same way. The patterns of play are more general. And sort of, if you have the ball, Trent Alexander-Arnold at the mid midfield line, these are your main three options. Just go do whatever you want. And, you know, he'll like, he'll strike a ball in a special way and like find someone in the, that you wouldn't expect. Um, so I think Klopp gives, and what his genius is probably more in terms of the specificity of, I remember hearing something about like them having like, really specific coaches for like throw-ins yeah, and yeah, things. Yeah. So he, he does all of the managing that micromanaging preparation that everyone else does. But then at the end of the day, it's four, three, three and like go after it and get the ball. It's got to be the prep and training of again, like really good players. But now here's the big difference. He finds players that are going to be that are that kind of talent, but potential rather, and not there yet. And he raises them up to a level where they like, like, you know, you go from Southampton to the best player in the world, just about between Virgil van Dijk and Sadio Mane or whatever. Whereas you're right. I don't think Pep has shown a track record of doing that. He takes players that are already really accomplished and maybe 
fine tunes and like Sterling or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I, I think Klopp is just on his track record alone. It's very clear that he's doing something. I mean, he's a very charismatic individual um, in terms of just. It seems like it's fun to play for him. If you're if you're obsessive and and kind of a nutcase enough to buy into the high intensity training, it seems like really fun. Like the players love him. They're going over and hugging. And I don't think Pep has the same kind of relationship. But you know, I was I was just thinking like you know, to make a slightly like theoretical point, it's like, I remember when, you know, in, in like early industrial economy, when, when the scientific management of the economy comes in with like Henry Ford and something like this, it's like, you used to just make a car, like, okay, the three of us made a car and our parents made the car and our parents' parents made the car and they teach us how to make the car. And, but it's really up to our own individual genius. And in terms of that, we've learned and that, that we're relying on. But then the scientific management comes in and they say, okay, no, we're actually going to take a thousand people, put them on the assembly line. You just chop like this. You just turn this nut. And it seems like in the last 20 years with, you know, with scientific management entering football, soccer in more intensive way, Pep is the ultimate of that, both in terms of the aesthetics on the field um, and, and what he's doing off of the field. And it, it's like, it is beautiful the style of play that he produces is beautiful, but his style having an influence in which all teams around the world are trying to replicate as just a consumer, you know, who just enjoys the aesthetics of the game. It's a very negative phenomenon for me to just watch all of these teams constantly try to play out of the back, try to make these like little triangles. I'm just like, look, this isn't, this doesn't seem natural or organic to any of you. Like, why are, why are you doing this? Maybe if Pep's won 10 champions leagues on the trots, it's like, okay, this is the system, but it seems like better players just beat him. And like, you know, you, you mentioned Wenger. I mean, better managers just beat him. And and so you mentioned Wenger, and he is credited with bringing some of that scientific management into the game. No drinking beer, no carbs, you know, different sorts of things. But on the pitch, the philosophy was very much just like go play. And, and, and you know, big players who – players love playing for – yeah, go ahead, Ram, buddy. No, no, I think that's a, that's a very interesting point. And I'm, but I think it's more complicated. It's kind of bizarre in the way that it's complicated that what the specific thing that made Barcelona so beautiful is maybe that like he, you have this kernel of this Cruyff style where it's the principles. It's not patterns of play dictated in terms right. of, okay, if you're left back, like, I remember you had, you've had coaches like this who was like, you know, you pass to, you, you don't make this pass. This is the pass you make. If you don't make the specific pass to the holding mid or something, you've like, you're done kind of thing yeah, yeah. where that's, that's not the Barcelona play way. It, there are principles. Like if you're a, a center back and you play the long ball to the striker, then it is like, that's the kind of thing that's the cardinal sin and you're out of the team. But otherwise it's like, you have these three options you pick the the right node of the triangle and then you shift and everyone at every single individual decision point, that creativity, that's kind of being in a tradition. It It's like we have the general principles and then we, as you're saying, you have your choice when you get it, like what to do with it. And like you bring your own self to it while respecting the tradition. Like, like there it's, once you're initiated into the Barca way right, right. that you work together uh, you know, in this order, whereas what Pep did is he 
maybe after he left, he took that and he bottled it. And once you export it and take it out of the cultural specificity of Barcelona and the, the genealogy of the, the Dutch Cruyff style here in Barcelona, like, well, now how can I take this and make it a product and package it elsewhere? And you get much more uh, like sort of the decision procedures. It becomes a flow chart and it becomes something that like the, whether it's the English or the German cases for Pep, um, it still looked nice because he he's, gives them still more freedom than maybe other coaches that have taken it on. But yeah, when you see like Arteta try to make Arsenal play that way the, in yeah. his first year, it was sort of Bernd Leno like going against every <laughs> single instinct he had to play the square ball to, to David Luiz, who, like, who was like, I guess I'll take it because he won't say no to... To, to dribbling outside of his own box so, or, or inside his own box. So yeah, it becomes like when you take something out of one culture like that and like, how do you transport it elsewhere? And with Klopp coming from Dortmund and bringing that to, to Liverpool, um, yeah, it seems like here, you're right, he gives them more freedom, but it's freedom to do what? Um, like the freedom to press and attack and in these like aggressive ways that an ultra fit person can do or group of people can do and do it together. Um, it's more in line with the footballing culture of England, the old, you know, the old, like put in your, your best effort and like stop with these extra passes kind of culture. And it's a new twist on that. So sad. In, along those lines, then um, when like both of you have, Sort of alluded to gegen passing, right? Where it's very hot, and, and Mark he's spoke about the origins and evolution of industrial capitalism, which, in one way or the other, it's about efficiency. So, well, apart from these two teams, um, you also have Bayern, right? Like Hansi Flick's Bayern, which won those won all six tournaments or trophies that year. It's all about this high press game, young players who are able to hound more than play. And when we spoke about Ronaldo a little while earlier, that's the problem, he doesn't do it. Tuchel wants his players to do a bit more of that. Is there like, is, the, is that like now a general condition of football or do you guys see something, some, because see, we, we saw Real Madrid miraculously won the Champions League. Chelsea won the Champions League um, a couple of, uh, well, last year. Um, they're not really that type of team. Um, they may have wanted to be, but didn't have the players for that kind of thing. Is there something more than that? Or is that become, is Gagan Preston become the aspiration that you imagine all football is going to sort of move towards one way or the other? Or, or do you think other styles, like we talked about the Mourinho style, whatever that is, um, slow, boring, and counter-attacking, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> the, or, you know, others. I mean, even Wenger. Wenger had a very fascinating, it was very beautiful football, but not always based on high press. I mean, that wasn't like the uh, substrate of, of what, what he was doing. Ferguson, same. Zidane and Ancelotti, who I think need, uh, we may or may not talk about them right now, but they certainly have um, created their own managerial styles, at least, even if not tactically. 
So where do you where do you think is 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 Gagan pressing like a, now an ideal of football which is aspired to or you fail in 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 being not being able to do that or or right. do you also see a little more heterogeneity in in tactics and in how uh, managers approach the game? I was going to say, I mean, one would hope the latter, one would hope for some heterogeneity, but it does seem that that's sort of setting the gold standard. Even Madrid winning, it was almost like a farce. It was almost, it was something outside of, no one, all of these pundits said like these kind of banal things about Ancelotti, like, oh, he must be one of the greats of all time, but they never were talking about him or analyzing what he was doing before, and they're not going to be doing it again. It was just a sort of offhand thing that they sort of had to say. Um, but I think it can be taken. Obviously, Angelotti is a more likable individual, and it's just more fun to play for him. But I think there's something to be said for a more relaxed approach to the game, because even you mentioned Tuchel and Mourinho, it is a different tactical approach, but the mentality is the same of an obsessive manager coming in and implementing a style and more or less all of the players are kind of cogs in that machine. And yeah, it's like, I think Ram mentioned, it, it's like the era of like the genius manager is maybe hopefully I would hope like a fad, you know, like, because if you watch games I'm not necessarily sure, but if you watch like a Classico and they're all on available to watch on like the bootleg sites and everything, which are fantastic, you can watch a Classico from like 2005, 2004. And it's really shocking to see how much space the players had on the field. They just had an endless amount of space. Um, and they, and even a, a, like if you watch an Arsenal United match from the same era and you talk about the Invincibles, they... There's nothing, even though they played beautiful, there's nothing like the ball retention of like a city team. They, they make sloppy passes all of the time and their pressing is way more haphazard. It's, it's not at all the same. It's much more like laissez-faire, the whole approach to the game. And I don't see, aside from Ancelotti, I don't see any trends in that direction. I just see very intense younger managers coming in like okay what we're going to do we're going to we're going to set up this system and it's my system and i just need the right players and it's i think a negative phenomenon in terms of the game because my sense is i i don't i, I could be wrong and i'm curious what you think but my sense is uh you know you take them like the the galacticos madrid team i think they would have no problem competing against i think they would destroy the city team of today even all tactic, putting all the tactics aside because you get a different kind of player. And like, it's like De Bruyne when he was at Schalke, like, or, you know, I mean, at Wolfsburg, like th th you get a different, you get a different kind of player than you do in the city system. You get a player who's much more aesthetically. It's, it's only in the last couple of years where Pep has kind of taken him off the leash a bit, but these, these systems kind of domesticate these players in a way um, and they force them to do all of these things, which may, it may be from like a percentage, like you're saying, more efficient, but somehow the focus on efficiency in a general sense might be reducing like the aesthetic product. And I don't know what you think, Ashwin, but I get the sense the quality of the play hasn't improved. I think like you take Figo and you take, um, you know, you take uh, 
Zidane and you take all of these guys like a Raul, I think they're better players and they would just kind of figure out, okay, this is what Liverpool is trying to do to press us. Okay. Like you just go here, I go here. We'll make this triangle. We'll play through them. They don't need a German coach who hasn't slept in three years telling them how to play based on some statistical analysis of their got their taking blood from their ears and telling them, okay, you should be in this spot now. So I hope the pressing and I mean, you guys played, how horrible is it to play against a team that's pressing the entire time? The match? Like I was mad marked once in my life when we played against Lawrence and it was the least fun I've ever had playing soccer. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I, I can't beat this guy. Leave me alone. And so I don't need to, I mean, it's fun to watch city, but. Uh, Although if memory serves me right, you hit a uh, 30, 30 yard half volley top corner in that, in that match. So. You know what I'm saying? It's not as it doesn't always just, work to put someone just, on the best player. <laughs> but you know what I mean, Ashwin. It's yeah. like if if these guys, yeah. if they if they won, if Pep won every Champions League and he's winning the Champions League with players that aren't even that good. Wow, look at this system. But his success record isn't even better yeah. than anyone else. I mean, I don't see why like an Allegri or someone like this wouldn't have the same success over a period of time. You say you can have all the money in the world. Any system, it's all yours. Uh, go ahead, have fun. I don't see why. Yeah, what do you think? Also, Ryan? also before Ren, um, it's also interesting when you talk about these systems dominating all the entire individuality and how individual players express themselves. In the end, you think of Pep's days in Barcelona, and you think of Messi, right? Without that, it's hard to imagine the success. And even there. Out of those two Champions Leagues they won, one was a bit dodgy in how they won against Chelsea and, and, and they collapsed against Inter and Chelsea in 10 and 12. But the other thing is more recently, when you think about Liverpool last year, one player, Van Dijk, is injured and they barely make it into the Champions League. So it seems like, yes, there seems that, okay, they have a great system when it's working, but there are keystone players you take them out and, and it seems like the whole edifice has collapsed. So that's something that, um, and, 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 you know, Ryan, when you're, when you're talking about that, and I know you watch Barcelona a lot. What do you think is happening there? Not in terms of the finances, et cetera. I think we should talk about that when they have a sense. They don't have a sense. You know, it's hard to comment <laughs> on. But the midfield, which you, you referred to, right? I mean, the great midfield of Barcelona was Iniesta, Busquets, and and Javi. Right now, they're not investing in the midfield. They're getting rid of De Jong. Busquets, is, his, his DNA age is probably 60. So um, <laughs> what what's going on there? Like, you know, I mean, what, I mean, with Lewandowski, have they now changed their model of playing? And like, that's something that, you know, comment on I mean, when, when you're thinking about tactics, if, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, before we get to Barca, yeah, uh, to continue on this, this thread... <laughs> Marcus picking up on. So I'll go less kind of polemical in terms of is it better or worse than um, mm-hmm. than before. But just what's interesting, zooming out a bit, is just like how we look at it. What is the sort of more primitive dialectic between all of your options? If you're mapping all of the options of uh, you know styles of play, um, and we, you started by asking about gegenpressing. pressing, and I wonder if I guess the most the more primitive way might be just like possession versus counterattacking. If that's the two 
poles of the dialectic, right? And so then it's a question of, well, how do you possess and how do you, let's say, counterattack, right? But, and that's when you get your, what are you doing when you're not in possession, right? Are you you're pressing or are you waiting? Like, and I, I think there, if you could plot some axis, uh, you know, plot these ag- across a couple of axes, you get, uh, or rather you could find all of your teams somewhere there. And so I don't think that gegenpressing in the strict sense is what's in, but you have these elements that uh, because of the success of, of Klopp and Pep, you have these two separate elements that are uh, now being used everywhere. And one of them is pressing and from Klopp. And then the other one is possession building from the back from Pep, let's say. And then you have this other over uh, this manager question of like, are you a micromanager and patterns of play through and through? Is that the way you organize things or are you giving people freedom and um, you know, letting them, you have general principles maybe, but maybe not even that. Cause I'm not sure Ancelotti has even that. And so yeah. To, yeah. it is interesting to like, just to marvel at it in terms of, yeah, what is Ancelotti doing? He's just kind of putting players in different places, giving them general jobs and then just like go, maybe he's saying like, get it into Ben's earlier or something. Uh, and that worked so well last year. Um, but like this other question, I think we'll come back to uh, over time is just like genius. We keep using this word of genius, like genius co- managers, genius players. Um, what is what is it when we say that, oh, we're seeing the genius out there happening? You, Ancelotti gives people freedom and maybe freedom is what allows, it did allow Ronaldinho to sort of show his genius, right? The capacities of an individual player. Um, on the other hand, Jorginho, he, he, if we're talking about like genius in terms of the full capacity of this player being put on display, it's only Tuchel's sort of otherwise oppressive system that allows a player right. like that to, through many iterations of short pass, short pass, short pass, to show that, like get in that rhythm and then produce his, his full sort of, uh, point, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I'll just leave that thought in general. I think it'll something come back and this romantic notion of genius, like in the 19th century sense, it, I think it's, it's like, like where the individual genius, when we were watching soccer, a lot of the time, I always think back to the Ronaldinho's and, you know, the Messi's and stuff. And there it really is the individual standing outside of the system and the system working for that person, that transcendent player. So in the absence of that transcendent player, uh, like Ashwin, you're saying Van Dyke's gone, you lose. In the absence of that transcendent player, you want uh, if your trust, if your perspective as a manager is that I want a system that's going to work, so that I can, it's you know, it's uh, uh, fail proof if I lose my player, and that's what Pep at City's trying to do, I guess, right? I lose one player, no problem. Um, and at Barcelona, then. To pivot rather harshly, I'm not, not sure that not sure that there is a sense like what you have is the tradition of general principles of iterative triangular passing and moving, right? And now last year, my short take on Barcelona last year was okay. The first half of the season was miserable and terrible, and everyone knows that. But I don't think people were watching that closely closely because the second half of the season there was a huge shift, and I. 
and things got a lot better precisely because they went back to, um, yeah, it was different. There was more direct than uh, Tiki Taka Barca, but like, yes, you had um, things looked much better. There's the ball moved much more and De Jong looked really good through that match against Napoli, that second leg where he scored, he like, he just shredded thing. And then the rest of the season, it's true. He did not play well. But we have to bear in mind that some of what Xavi was doing was tinkering with that in in ways that were subtle, but uh, sort of changed the structure of things. Like his attempt to keep Gabi in uh, in in the team along with De Jong and Pedri, and like when everyone was available, meant that he switched at times to having Gabi as the uh, third in a front three, which really meant he wasn't playing in that front three. He was dropping back into midfield a lot. And so someone like De Jong's failure to uh, sort of make things happen was partly because he's holding back and uh, not really playing as a true eight even. Because I know the general question is like, is De Jong, De Jong should be a six, you know, because of Busquets, they haven't let him be a six. So like, what is the, um, uh, you know, so as if that would solve everything right now. I don't know. It's he's not, he wasn't like investing in the midfield. They have invested this summer, right? They got Kessier who is fantastic. I think he, in a normal season, he's kind of like a, the right player to be an attacking part of that midfield three. Um, Someone who could press in the midfield three as well, you know, but like, who is he replacing? You're getting rid of, Everyone but Busquets, or not everyone. Keeping Busquets is a problem. I think with Barcelona, it's interesting because they have Kessia. He's a world-class player. They have Pedri, who's a world-class player. I don't see why you don't just keep De Jong as the person picking up the ball from the back. And then you have Dembele, Lewandowski. Um, You have Aubameyang. I mean, you have a really – you have Gabi. Um, you have Adama Traore if he's still in the mix. You have a really dynamic team. I mean, it's very odd, as you've mentioned previously, that De Jong is in the team. You've bought him to be that holding player. You've assigned him for an incredibly expensive amount of money. He's played on the team now a number of years, and he, I don't think I've seen him play, even get a run of games in that position. Like, why is Busquets still in the team? It's very... It's very odd. There's a really noticeable aging in his play. He's still an elegant player to watch and everything, but I would say it's almost categorical that a team with Busquets in it is not going to win a major uh, you know, tournament trophy. It's, he's too easy to play around. Um, and he's too easy to press nowadays. It's a, very, it's a very strange situation at Barcelona, but I think it's I, with Xavi in, in the mix, it is aesthetically I, I, I trust Javi because Javi was such a beautiful player to watch. And that's, what's interesting as a manager, like Javi is, we all know Javi. Javi is one of the most beautiful players of the last 30 years. Guardiola was not this, you know, Arteta was pretty abysmal. I mean, he was in Arsenal abysmal days. Like he's one of the reasons Wenger got ditched because Arteta was in the team for a number of years playing like very mediocre stuff I mean Arteta never got into like the Spanish national team I mean so it's a player who doesn't have that that 
that real creative flair. It's more of a systematic view of the game he has. So I think you could see some more dynamism happening with, with Barcelona, but I don't think Lewandowski is a pivot in style. I think it's more of just like a frantic <laughs> like commercial purchase or political, political machinations happening there. Um, but I, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see. I think, I think Barcelona are going to be very, very good this year. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's see it. I mean, they've depended on a strong midfield and they did really well. So what this brings, I mean, Gabi and Pedri are very good, but they're also very young. So you need a bit more experience, I would imagine. Um, well, that's all we probably have time for today. And uh, we'll see how the season begins uh, tomorrow and over the weekend. Uh, we'll continue with this podcast next week. Thank you.